edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect. I'm your host, Andrew Halcrow. With me, as always, is my main man, Van Sanders. Mr. Sanders, are you ready for part two of our 2021 look back? So ready. You know it. Excellent. As our listeners know, last week we featured our local politics review of 2021, and today we will review state politics in 2021. Also, in closing comments, we will have an update on the Angela Rodell story as new information has come to public. Yes. However, this show will not be 40 minutes long. Last week's show was a whopping 40 minutes, so we're going to slice, dice, and compress this episode into something a little more manageable. Yes, and as always, we'd like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our podcast on their website and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are ours and ours alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. When we first launched, with all due respect, last May, the Alaska legislature was in the final weeks of the regular legislative session, and we quickly realized that it wasn't going to be over anytime soon. Boy, that was correct, sir. Governor Mike Dunleavy would keep lawmakers in Juneau for another four months with four different special sessions. So the question has to be asked, why did the governor hold the legislature hostage for extra four months? Because the governor was trying to force lawmakers into paying a supersized dividend of $2,300. His strategy was twofold. First, he kept the legislature pinned down in Juneau most of the year while he and his staff used public money to try and agitate the public to pressure lawmakers. Now, as you'll remember, Dunleavy got elected three years ago, promising thousands more dividends than his predecessor, former Governor Bill Walker, but he's fallen short. So now he was trying to get the public to accomplish something he alone could not do. The problem for Governor Dunleavy, though, was lawmakers weren't buying what he was selling. Alaskans will be left with a budget deficit in the billions instead of the hundreds of millions it is now. A $2,300 dividend payout would overdraw the fund and increase the long-term tax consequences of both private Alaskans and businesses. This attempt to pay out $2,300 is the worst type of purely political behavior that will clearly put the future of Alaska at risk. This is an attempt to buy votes at the risk of the future of Alaska and its economy, period. Today, if you listen to the voices that actually understand how this will devastate Alaska in the future, they are the lawmakers whose real job is managing money. The reason why lawmakers weren't buying what the governor was selling is because he had no way to pay for it. Our economic future and state finances are under attack by a governor who is pushing a dividend so big, his own finance director has no idea how Alaskans are going to pay for it. Not one idea. But the governor kept pushing, and lawmakers kept pushing back. The biggest issue is the size of the dividend. While the compromise calls for a $1,100 dividend, which would be a sustainable draw and would protect the fund, opponents are demanding a $2,300 dividend. 
Now, as we have spoken before on this podcast, and I will say it really slow so everyone understands the severity of this, a $2,300 dividend paid today would create crippling taxes tomorrow. There has not been one person that has testified in legislative committees that says a supersized dividend makes financial sense. But then, ladies and gentlemen, something happened. Something unintentional that would change the course of the discussion and eliminate any leverage the governor had. It was a Friday night, another long day in the clerk's office. A tall, frantic man burst into my office. I jumped to my feet, jammed my Roscoe in his button and said, Stop right there, you mug, or I start squirting metal. Said his name was Dunlevy. Said he was behind the eight ball. One of his flunkies lost a paper worth a lot of cheddar. Four billion worth of cheddar, baby. But then the flim flammer jumped in the fliver and faded while lawmakers made a clean sneak. What happened was Governor Dunleavy's staff accidentally failed to properly note the governor's $4 billion veto of money to be deposited into the permanent fund corpus, which took the money he was planning on using as leverage to extract a bigger dividend off the table. This, ladies and gentlemen, was a $4 billion own goal. That $4 billion was arguably the biggest chip that the governor had to leverage any kind of a higher dividend. So instead of accepting the initial dividend passed by a majority that would have paid a cool $1,100, House Minority Republicans rolled the dice, settling for $525, which the governor vetoed to zero. From $1,100 to zero. Now, they have zero dividend and zero leverage. Allow me to repeat this. Conservative Republicans who drove the state to within days of a government shutdown by demanding a $2,300 dividend now have a zero dividend and zero leverage thanks to Governor Dunleavy. In playing these political games, Governor Dunleavy put himself in the position of becoming the only governor in the last 40 years not to pay a dividend. Governor Mike Dunleavy, who got elected promising supersized dividends in 2018 and then worked to get more supersized dividend candidates elected in 2020, could very well become the first governor in the history of the dividend program to not pay a dividend. So with both the governor and his 14 holdout Republican lawmakers with absolutely no leverage to extract a bigger dividend, we brought in a special guest to give advice to the majority on how they should call Dunleavy's bluff. This is a high-risk game for the minority, sweetie, with the clock ticking, and we all know seeking salvation is a last-minute business. I've been in this racket a long time. If the minority burns the whole thing down and brings home no cheddar for the high pillows, they'll get their teeth knocked out and then kicked in the stomach for mumbling. I say stand your ground. Tell the minority daisies to suck it up. An $1,100 dividend is more than zero in any schmuck's book. At the end of the day, majority lawmakers called the governor's bluff and ended up paying a dividend that wouldn't overdraw the fund and, oh, by the way, was higher, was higher than the year before. But it doesn't end there. Governor Dunleavy, in his relentless pursuit of a super dividend, decided to turn his hostility towards the one person who's made a growing dividend possible, the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation. It was clear to Governor Dunleavy, with Rodell remaining as executive director, he'd continue to find resistance to overdrawing the fund to pay a supersized dividend. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, we have mentioned several times on this program about Governor Dunleavy's re-election chances and how they all hinge on paying a super dividend. If Governor Dunleavy does not pay at least a $2,200 dividend, his re-election chances are significantly diminished. After refusing to abandon good investment principles, 
the executive director of the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation was fired. So Governor Mike Dunleavy could hire someone who doesn't question him. Angela Rodell was fired so Governor Mike Dunleavy's cronies could take over management of the Permanent Fund Corporation. It's just that easy. So, ladies and gentlemen, in the next two months, when Governor Dunleavy starts pitching his idea again for a super dividend, he'll have an obedient permanent fund director who will go along. We will have much more on the Angela Rodell story in the closing comments. Along the way, during the special session, Governor Dunleavy took more than his fair share of hostages, including rural Alaska and power cost equalization. He said he'd protect rural Alaska when he campaigned, with his own wife writing an op-ed in the February 2019 Anchorage Daily News, promising that he wouldn't leave rural Alaska behind. But yet today, he has said nothing about the 80,000 people in rural Alaska that are without critical energy relief. Imagine, he tried to stiff rural Alaska on PCE after promising to protect rural Alaska when he was elected. Prior to Governor Dunleavy being elected in 2018, the PCE endowment has functioned without issue or controversy for decades. Between 80,000 and 90,000 Alaskans depend on PCE to pay their utilities. They live in nearly 200 communities, some of which are the most economically disadvantaged and high cost in the nation. The PCE endowment pays out about $30 million a year from its endowment. It doesn't require a dime of general funds to support the program, which means the funds don't compete against education funding or the dividend. It is an endowment that pays for itself. Without PCE, rural Alaska could see their utility bills double or triple at month's end with virtually no notice. In addition to attacking the legislature, the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation in rural Alaska, Governor Dunleavy thought he'd screw with Alaska's independent judiciary as well. Right now, the judiciary is the only working, functioning branch of government in the state of Alaska. So, why the attack on the judiciary? The process Alaska uses to select judges insulates them from politics. Conservatives have consistently been trying to change the way Alaska chooses justices because they've been angry at rulings centered around Alaska's right to privacy, right to equal access, and the funding of private education with public dollars. They want a world where justices are partisan soldiers so they can slowly roll back the very protections that have served Alaskans well. Dunleavy's controversial appointment of Christy Babcock to the Alaska Judicial Council wasn't the only member of the Babcock family to try and screw Alaska in 2021. Enter Tuckerman Babcock, the husband of Christy and Governor Dunleavy's former chief of staff. Seems this couple has a plan to one-up each other as who can be the worst people in Alaska. A federal judge last week ruled that Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy and his former chief of staff, Tuckerman Babcock, violated both the United States and the Alaska Constitution when they sought the resignation of at-will state employees at the start of Dunleavy's administration. As you'll remember... The Dunleavy-Babcock duo basically extorted 800 state employees to sign a loyalty statement or they'd be fired. So if that wasn't bad enough, that these two clowns violated employees' constitutional rights, when the court ruled that they were personally liable, they both did what every good anti-government conservative would do. They ran to government to help them. Dunleavy is telling the court not to send the bill to him, but to send the bill to you. 
You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, Governor Dunleavy was found guilty by a federal court for violating state employees' constitutional rights. Well, he's back in court using state money to argue he shouldn't be held responsible. Taxpayers should. So the two dudes who were bold enough to demand a loyalty pledge aren't bold enough to take responsibility for it. Dunleavy, of course, not wanting him and Babcock to be liable, is now telling the court, no, 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 Tuckerman and I aren't liable, the public is liable. Meanwhile, Governor Dunleavy's COVID response during the Delta surge was one of the worst in the country. The entire situation was best voiced by Jared Cosson, the CEO of the Alaska State Hospital and Nursing Home Association, who testified to lawmakers last week, quote, our world is on fire and we need help. All we want is support and we want it now. The governor's refusal to declare an emergency declaration played politics with the lives of every Alaskan, all to benefit his reelection chances. Governor Mike Dunleavy and Mayor Dave Bronson are playing politics with Alaska's public health. A disaster declaration would go against the heart and soul of Governor Dunleavy's base, who believe COVID is a conspiracy more than they believe it's an emergency. It would show to everyone that all of his prior claims that his COVID response was mission accomplished was actually a mission failed. Running for re-election next year, Dunleavy doesn't want to fall out of standing with other GOP governors around the country who ignored science as well while the constituents continued to die. And Governor Dunleavy's dishonesty also put Alaskans at risk from COVID by hiding reports that show masks are effective. Ladies and gentlemen, this report from Governor Dunleavy's own health department concludes mask mandates worked. However, as first reported by local journalist Matt Buxton and verified by this podcast, this report has been totally removed from the health department's website. So a report showing scientific evidence that mask mandates work has now disappeared under a governor who contends the scientific evidence about masks is inconclusive. And if managing the COVID pandemic so poorly wasn't enough, Governor Dunleavy's analogies showed he didn't have a clue about how to lead Alaskans. Meanwhile, Governor Mike Dunleavy, who, like Bronson, has come under fire for his failed response to the deadly COVID surge, defended himself by using the analogy of a tsunami, where Alaskans go down to the beach, lock arms, and prepare for the impact. And then to top off a record-breaking COVID surge, Governor Dunleavy decided to write an op-ed defending his pandemic response, to which Van and I, well, we took a little bit of issue with that. Defending his handling of the COVID pandemic. The piece entitled Facts Matter on Alaska's COVID Response, Dunleavy argued the state was doing an excellent job with response and his critics were playing politics with the pandemic. Hmm, pandemic politics. Now, on the same day, on the same day, Governor Dunleavy claimed all was fine and concerns about COVID were just the nattering nabobs of negativity. Alaska's COVID surge became the worst in the entire world. If Alaska were a country, it would be the nation with the world's highest per capita rate of infections. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you might wonder with the attacks on the legislature, the judiciary, the separation of powers, you might wonder why. Why has Governor Mike Dunleavy spent so much of his time breaking things that weren't broken before he got elected? Well, there's a method to his madness, and it's called a constitutional convention. And Van and I are sure glad you asked. First, you get Dunleavy elected, someone whose populism plays to the masses, that tall white knight riding in to save Alaskans, standing tall, defender of the PFD. 
Then, once you're in office, you foster the belief that government is dysfunctional, fat, and lazy. But more importantly, they're trying to steal your dividend. They're trying to reach into your pocket and steal your cash. Then, and this is the more important part, they begin flooding the zone. First, you veto the budget in places conservatives don't care about to create the martyr appearance to rally your supporters. You veto the dividend amount to create a showdown with the legislature. You attack the courts, creating a sense of anger and distrust towards the judicial branch. You attack the legislature for not guaranteeing the dividend in the Constitution, creating a sense of anger and distrust towards the legislature. And then, after you've cultivated enough anger and distrust of the judicial and legislative branches among Alaskans, Governor Dunleavy will tell them that the only way to fix everything is by calling a constitutional convention. So, when you consider the chaos this governor has caused the last year, and the fact that he's up for re-election next year, how has that been playing into his campaign strategy? Currently, Governor Dunleavy's approval rating is at 38%. This was exact approval rating in July of 2019 when Alaskans were beating down the door to sign the recall petitions. As we've talked about on previous episodes, the COVID outbreak rescued Governor Dunleavy from recall. However, you know, Dunleavy being Dunleavy, his approval ratings has dropped back down to 38%, and now with a re-election challenge from one of his own burn barrel Republicans, my boy's got pressure mounting on all sides. And he's also bringing a little political extortion into the effort. It's also time for Governor Mike Dunleavy to stop having state employees pimp his re-election campaign. Lately, it has been rumored that Brett Huber, who managed Dunleavy's campaign in 2018 and who had returned in July to the governor's office as a senior policy advisor, has been shaking down donors in the resource development industry on behalf of the governor's re-election campaign. So as Governor Dunleavy's re-election year dawns, that brings us to a close of this year-end review of state politics. In closing comments, the truth shall set you free. As an update to our story last month regarding the firing of Angela Rodell, this week Rodell broke her silence and publicly acknowledged she was fired for political reasons. In a letter to lawmakers, Rodell said she was fired because she refused to overdraw the fund. In response, Governor Mike Dunleavy, through his spokesperson, said the governor was going to release Rodell's confidential personnel file. Now, what in the hot hell of a mess is this? A governor who says he has no control over the operations of the Permanent Fund Corporation and has no power to orchestrate the firing of the CEO is now saying he is going to unilaterally release her confidential personnel file to the public? But yet, but yet, just 16 months ago, this same governor refused to say anything about his disgraced former attorney general who quit after being outed as a sexual predator, with Dunleavy claiming to God and country that he was prohibited from saying anything about the matter because it was confidential and personal. But yet, now he's just going to throw Rodell's personnel file into the middle of town square Ladies and gentlemen, Governor Mike Dunleavy is not a good human being. In addition, the legislative committee investigating the firing of Angela Rodell is now hearing stories of trustees who said they felt their jobs were at risk if they didn't vote to remove Rodell. One of the governor's own commissioners who voted for the removal of Rodell was heard saying, quote, 
It was her vote or her job. Ladies and gentlemen, never before has the Legislative Budget and Audit Committee had to put someone under oath, but committee members are seriously considering issuing subpoenas to those involved, especially Craig Richards, the board chair, who has always fancied that job while attempting to undermine Rodell at every turn. This is where a wrongful termination suit by Angela Rodell would open the floodgate to discovery and show how corrupt and coordinated her termination was. Governor Mike Dunleavy fired the most successful director in Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation history in order to help his re-election efforts. This is a governor who spent four months and over $4 million to get his way, and when he didn't get his way with lawmakers, he fired the one person who actually makes this state money. But there still remain significant questions. For instance, why did board chair Craig Richards meet with the governor just weeks before Rodell was dismissed? Why, for the first time in 40 years, was Governor Dunleavy's commissioner, Lucinda Mahoney, the same commissioner who wrote up Rodell's review, made vice chair? Why, after a record performance as executive director, was Rodell fired in five minutes without any explanation? Why was Rodell not given specific details about why she was fired? And why was she not given a course of action to correct any bad behaviors? Seriously, ladies and gentlemen, from a management standpoint, this whole sordid affair just blows my mind from a leadership standpoint. Why was there no advance warning to Rodell's performance? Why was there no work plan to address any shortcomings? I mean, what the hell were the trustees doing? Why the hell would the trustees fail to attempt any course of correction for an executive director who just broke every record of earnings there are with the Permanent Fund Corporation? And finally, why would Governor Dunleavy threaten to release Rodell's employee file after he made it a point to claim he had nothing to do with Rodell's firing? If this is a guy who claims he has no power to file Rodell, how would he have the power to unilaterally release her personnel file? Because Governor Mike Dunleavy is a con man and an unadulterated liar. He coordinated the firing of Angela Rodell to aid his re-election chances. Without a supersized dividend, Governor Dunleavy's re-election chances are marginal at best, and he knows that. Ladies and gentlemen, the fact is, Governor Mike Dunleavy orchestrated the firing of the most successful permanent fund corporation executive director in the 40-year history of the fund, so he could hire a stooge who allows him to overdraw the fund and pay a super dividend. Nothing more, nothing less. And there is the closing music, and you know what that means. We will be back in our regular format next week, and we will be launching our new video platform by the end of the month. Van, any closing thoughts? I am stoked to uh, release some video podcasts. I think you guys will be pretty, ex- well, hopefully you'll really enjoy. Um, in the meantime, if you want to see more of my work, you can visit abodabobrand.com and uh, reach out to me there. Excellent. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our time. We thank you for yours. <laughs>